handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan. It is 10 a.m. on October 4th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Posting this on a Monday, recording it on a Monday. Slow work day, but a lot of stuff for me to do in terms of uh, writing and uh, Netflix watching and working out. Uh, you know, just taking care of, uh, you know, the career, the, the temple, and the, uh, and the Netflix quayway. So now known as my list, but, uh, you know, I will always remember it as the, uh, the Q, also known as the Quayway. Um, <laughs> let's see what to talk about. Um, well, this week, let's start with Giggs. Uh, let's get the, uh, which by the way, Giggs was the nickname of a kid I went to school with. He was a year above us, uh, played a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, pickup basketball and, uh, he went by the name, he went by the nickname Giggs. Uh, his real name was Divesh. Um, so like many, um, you know, Indian kids, uh, came up with a, a nickname that really made little to no sense. And as I got older and more people mispronounced Gene Lewis and I went by JL, I felt sort of, uh, both less, I felt like a sellout for not making people say my name correctly, giving them an easy way out. But I also felt uh, a sympathy, an empathy, and a kinship with uh, the many Indian kids who will have long names or non-traditional names and then come up with nicknames that have nothing to do with their name. So gigs, whenever I say I have gigs, part of me always thinks of divesh, okay? And uh, also, uh, we should divesh from fossil fuels, okay? That's a little Indian punnery humor. How about that? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Some of you are probably listening going, I hated that joke, but JL usually goes down really depressing wormholes when he starts talking about comedy. So just the fact that he's making corny jokes about divesting from fossil fuels, maybe this episode will be different. 
not afraid of listening to J.O. when you fear it's going to get suicidal. Um, I also thought I've written many sketches that I will start filming at the end of October. And part of me wants to make a like an hour-long sketch pilot. Now that will cost me uh, probably 20000 bucks, and I don't know if my career at this point, it once again feels like throwing good after bad. Um, but my career is more throwing great after bad, like making great content in so many ways and throwing it into just a, a Ponzi scheme of my own creation. Like I once wrote on social media that uh, being a stand-up comedian without representation is like doing a Ponzi scheme on yourself. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's the comedy, it's, being a stand-up comedian is like doing um, autoerotic asphyxiation, but never jerking off. <laughs> you're just, you're just hanging yourself with a lemon in your mouth. <laughs> How about that for an image? Um, not afraid of evoking David Carradine, but yeah, that's, that's, if I had to define a stand-up comedy career in a nutshell, it's autoerotic asphyxiation without masturbation. So you're just, you just got a lemon in your mouth. Maybe you like the taste of lemon. Maybe you, you know that it's a superfood and you're just hanging yourself and you're going, I know something's missing here. I know there's supposed to be pleasure somewhere, but I'll just keep doing this because this seems to be the path to success. And next thing you know, you're dead, your dick is out, there's a lemon in your mouth, and your family walks in and goes, what in the fuck is happening? And then the coroner examines you and goes, um, I don't think he knew how to do autoerotic asphyxiation. I think he forgot the critical component of climaxing. So we're going to label this an accidental suicide by content. Uh, see how I brought comedy back in there? Uh, so we didn't lose the metaphor totally. Uh, anyway, uh, guys, I have gigs coming up soon. Or should I call them diveshes? Should I call my shows diveshes and only people who listen to this podcast and my friend John? Those will be the only people who get what the fuck I'm talking about. But that would be, what, a, what an inside meta joke. Um, speaking of which also... Uh, we'll get to gigs eventually, but, uh, speaking of which, uh, a friend of mine who listens to the show coming to the album recording, uh, so, you know, uh, he's a real friend and not just some, some bitch ass cuck, but he, uh, he, uh, he knows who he is while he's listening to this, but he, uh, watched my Ken Burns comedy special, a uh, comedy parody from many years ago, but I reposted it this week uh, to promote some of the new sketches I'd done, uh, John Bernthal Sopranos audition sketch is up on my YouTube. Uh, I did a couple of Trump, uh, a Trump-Brett Kavanaugh dual sketch. And um, I decided because Ken Burns had just posted the, you know, the posted. He's a real person. He doesn't post. It, it aired on a real channel. Uh, his four-part Muhammad Ali series, which I thought was good, doesn't rank up there in the, in the, great, the great Ken Burns sketches. But uh, just to promote my own shit, I posted, uh, reposted my um, Ken Burns part one of my two-part Ken Burns comedy docu mockumentary, and my buddy said, uh, thought it was hilarious, which it is, so I appreciated that, and he said, and great Malcolm Gladwell out of nowhere, and uh, I wrote back to him very sternly, as I always do, I said, that's not Malcolm Gladwell, I have a Malcolm Gladwell sketch, 
So you can watch that if you want to hear the Malcolm Gladwell impression. And he was one of the first people to actually, I think, hear my Malcolm Gladwell impression in person. Um, so I always have a, I always have a soft spot in my heart, in my heart, my, my artery, my clogged artery heart for people who've been there. Like Rod of the Black Eye Tips was basically present when the John Bernthal impression was born on his podcast spontaneously. And my, my, my friend who I'm speaking of now was, I believe, present for when I first tried a Malcolm Gladwell impression. So you can go check out that sketch on my YouTube also, Malcolm Gladwell's Breakfast Podcast. But the impression I was doing on the Ken Burns parody was the two impressions I was doing in terms of narration were a, a, a strong attempt at, a, at a, a Keith David impression who narrates many of uh, Ken Burns' documentaries, including the Muhammad Ali one. And... Um, I don't have kind of the rich bass timber to my voice, but it was a good, it was a very good, I think, attempt. And the other one was um, a George Plimpton. Obscure, sure. Now I'm venturing into the Dennis Miller, George Will uh, range of comedy. But I think it's a very, a good, very good, very good George Plimpton. But you have to have a deep knowledge of, of Ken Burns' documentaries. Now, the thing I say is Ken, Ken, George Plimpton appears on the first few big Ken Burns ones, like Baseball and the Civil War. So if you're a Ken Burns documentary aficionado, you've heard George Plimpton do narration. George Templeton Strong. But uh, that, it made me realize, my, my friend was just being supportive, and then he, he recognized my intentional dickish tone in my reply, and, re, and replied appropriately with, with humor. Um... But it just made me think that sort of encapsulates my comedy career. Like, I'm obviously most of the stuff I do is fairly accessible and mainstream, but every so often I just like to do something because I want to do the best possible Ken Burns parody. And that involves only catering to people who have a deep reservoir of knowledge of Ken Burns documentaries. But then what's the point? Most people probably didn't pick up on the fact that that was an on-point George Plimpton impression. And why should they? But that brings me, before we get to gigs, a.k.a. Diveshes, um, that brings me to a book talk I went to yesterday. I went for a nice little walk solo in uh, New Jersey from Bloomfield to Montclair and, uh, and went to see Steve Van Sant the uh, guitarist for the E Street Band and uh, Silvio Dante on The Sopranos, which I am five episodes away from finishing a rewatch so that I can watch the um, mostly bashed Many Saints of Newark. Um, but before then, I'll be going to Holstein's and uh, having an ice cream sundae, keeping the cal... You know, I'll be doing some serious calorie counting that day. But, um, and then I will probably film myself in, on TikTok listening to Don't Stop Believing while I eat a Sunday at Holstein's, and then I will fa I will go to black, just like the last episode of The Sopranos. But um, Steve Van Sant, um, it, was a, it was a good book talk. Uh, bought the, got, the, got an autographed copy of the book. Didn't get to meet the man. It wasn't one of those events where you get to meet the person. And he didn't reply to my Twitter, my tweet about the event, even though he follows me on Twitter and had kind words to say about me, um, you know, a little less than a year ago on Twitter, but that's okay. Um, but he had some some good words uh, towards the end because he what 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 really made me want to go to the talk is I read an article. I knew he was in town. I was like, hey, do I want to go? I don't know. But then I read a long article on him in the uh, Newark Star Ledger uh, yesterday promoting it. So I then went and bought a ticket, but but uh, to the event. But he was 
as much as I liked Richard Marx's book, that was sort of like a fun celebrity kind of memoir with like fun stories about success and like cool adventures while on top of the world. Whereas Steve Van Sant, he's had this big career as like he, he soprano, you know, he's an iconic person in an iconic show. Like The Sopranos is, is just it's a it's a TV Hall of Famer first ballot, so he's always going to be remembered by a lot of people for that. And then Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, is is a is a you know first ballot rock and roll Hall of Fame uh, act. So so he's been part of these major things, but then the you know and he was a, a real deal activist especially with, with issues related to South Africa in the 80s. But what hit me, of course, was, was in the article talking about how he's not complaining about his career. So I didn't relate to that, of course. But he did say, but, you know, some of, he expressed some sort of, like, you know, disappointment that, like, some of the work he's done as a solo artist, like with his own band, that he feels is some of his best work, just really didn't have any commercial success. And at the end of his talk yesterday... He talked about, and I've said this on, on the podcast, and I don't know how much I truly believe in it because I do complain a lot, but he basically said, and I wish I could remember the exact quote, maybe the talk will be aired at some point, but he basically said something to the effect of like making, like making good art is, its, is like its own reward. That's the point. You want the commercial success, but like that he, he can still feel pride in like good work. And that's how I feel about some of my albums where I'm like, Maybe they'll never get discovered. Maybe I'll never reach a, the level where like people will go back and be like, oh my God, he had like some great albums before he hit like mainstream success. But it was like, it was a really, it, it was just good because it came off, you, you really feel that he's genuine about like, yeah, he's had these successes where he was like a secondary player, but the work he's most proud of hasn't been the stuff that's had the commercial success and i just thought uh that was that was pretty cool and and the narrator the the moderator of, of the conversation um mentioned a quote from his book i haven't i'm, not, I'm probably going to read it towards the end of the year i have a bunch of books ahead of it in my list um but not a list i just have a pile of books i don't know why i said a list like i'm i'm curating something like i literally am staring at a pile of books that i'm reading right like like i that i will be reading currently reading uh uh what is it called zero fail uh the book about um the secret service like the history and failures of the secret service uh i'm a third of the way through the book and i fucking love it uh it's a, it's a contender for book of the year for me uh, at least you know of the ones i've read um, not every book I've read has been a 2021 tome, but, uh, right now it is, it's, it's as readable and interesting and, and awesome, uh, as, as a book I've read this year. So front runner for JL Covan's book of the year, zero fail by Carol. And I forget she follows me on Twitter. Um, doesn't like anything I do. Probably doesn't see anything. Algorithm complaint number one by JL Covan. I'm now under 137,000 followers on Twitter. So in the last 10 months, I have lost 10,000 followers with no real additional followers because the algorithm is killing me. Anyway, we're done complaining about the algorithm for today. But that algorithm complaint was brought to you by Twitter. Fucking over JL Covan since late 2020. Twitter, join us. At least we're not Facebook. Um, so, uh, I just found that talk very, uh, uh, very compelling. 
uh, and interesting. He took a little while. He's like a little terse with his answers at first, but then he really got going. And it was a, it was it was a nice way to spend a, a Sunday, wrapping up the evening. Just a a nice walk, about a mile and a half away from my my apartment. Listen to listen to a talk. Get a signed copy of the book and have a nice leisurely walk home. That's me. Not afraid of being an old man at forty two. So, uh, there, that's Book Talk. That Book Talk was brought to you by books. Books, they're like podcasts for smart people. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yes, did I complain about the Ken Burns stuff? Sure. Uh, as far as the Muhammad Ali doc goes, yes. If I were to recommend documentaries to, to, to people, the Ken Burns variety of documentaries, not the easily produced uh, shit that just floods Netflix, um, my top three remain... Civil War, baseball, Vietnam, uh, and with with fourth place going to country music. Now, some people tried to get on, you know, and, and here's my uh, com uh, complaint number two of the week. No, when, when I post a list, I would like people to not question my integrity. Like, I wouldn't post a list of Ken Burns documentaries and have only seen, like, three. Here are my top three. I've only seen three of his 40 works, but here are my top three, the three I've seen. No, I've seen a majority. I haven't seen... I want to see the Jack Johnson one for sure. That's like the big one I haven't seen. But people suggested to me the war, his World War II one, which I didn't really like that much. And I felt like it was one of the first ones I'd seen of his that relied on lots of like video footage, radio and video footage. Whereas like Civil War and Baseball had a lot of archival photo footage where it required sort of the the maximum amount of filmmaking skill by him because he had to use music and narration and photos. And that's why the Civil War to me is so amazing because it's so great, so watchable, moving. I mean, I remember like getting tears in my eyes at the end of, I think it's episode two or three when the Emancipation Proclamation gets signed and the way it, it just like, it moved me and all you had was music, narration and photos. And... So Civil War is just locked in at number one. Maybe that's like the Michael Jordan feeling of like, no one will ever be better than that one, even if it is, because it just holds a, a special place. Baseball, a sport that I used to love and have sort of faded from a little bit, um, I just thought was, was, was incredible. Um, and Vietnam, which a lot of people think should be number two, and I can respect that. Uh, Vietnam was the first time I thought, wow, this one was like, I mean, it's up there with Civil War. Like, it's how, like I, was, I was surprised because the war, which was about World War II, I just felt like didn't have the same sort of magic, so to speak. Of course, World War II is an amazing thing, but it's also something maybe I knew more about and like seeing video footage and things like that was not as, was not as compelling. Like it didn't require as much of his skill to create like this sort of documentary world. But the one that I would have fourth, which which, unlike jazz, which I watched twice out of respect, I watched it once in college where I took like a winter study course on jazz. So I was like, mom, can you buy me the 10, for Christmas, can I have the 10 video set of jazz by Ken Burns? And I watched it and about halfway through, I'm, uh, maybe this is my, you know, probably my my dad's music taste speaking through me. But man, I loved all the early shit, the early Louis, Louis Armstrong and the, and, and that's how you know I'm pretentious because uh, I read both a book about Louis Armstrong and they were like, it's not Louis Armstrong, it's Louis Armstrong. 
So, uh, <laughs> but, and, and like, you know, the swing era shit and all that. Um, Pops was a big fan of Benny Goodman. But uh, that was an impression of my dad saying Benny Goodman because he would get very excited. Um, but when we get to that heroin shit of the geniuses playing shit, I don't understand. Oh, man. Oh, man. He's so good. He's so good. He was doing things that I didn't even know was possible on the trumpet. Awful. Awful music. I don't give a fuck if you're a genius. It fucking sounds like noise to me. And it gets too in the weeds of like, oh, you're trying to like teach me about jazz music. Like, I don't give a shit. Fuck jazz. The only jazz I like is the one that plays in Utah. But, um, and that was one of those things. I, I wanted to be sensitive when that when Hurricane Ida hit. And to be fair, it crushed New Jersey and New York worse than it did New Orleans. But whenever people, I hate, to, I'm sorry to say this, but I got to say it. This is the Righteous Prick Podcast. This is a safe space for abhorrent thoughts. Um, when people are like, New Orleans, it's just, it's the culture, it's the music, it's the food. It's such a, an integral part of the American landscape. I'm always like, I hate all the shit that New Orleans has produced. The crime, the music, the food, all of it can fuck off as far as I'm concerned. So I'm like, that's not, the way to get me to care about New Orleans is be like, uh, we don't want dead Americans. We don't want dead people. We want people to live and survive and be okay. I'll be like, sure. But when you start like the, the, the gumbo, the gump, we got to get the page and go. I'm like, fuck all that food. I don't give a shit. And they're like, but what about the music? <laughs> nope. Can do without that noise. Uh, but what about, what about the culture? Okay, dancing with handkerchiefs at funerals, don't need it either. I'm okay with somber funerals as well. So basically what I'm saying is, New Orleans, keep all your shit. I don't care. You're not going to get my sympathy by going, what about, what about the food and the culture and the music? It's such a vibrant place. It's such a... Even Treme, even Treme, the follow-up show of David Simon after his brilliant series, The Wire... I watched one season of Treme out of respect. I was like, I, I give it uh, boring, terrible, boring. Good night. Even he could, even he, I don't. I, I just everything about New Orleans. I'm just like, and I went once, and it was like it's fucking sticky here, like it's sticky. That's how I felt about Houston and New Orleans. I was like, it's the, the air. It feels like I'm walking through someone's workout sweat. Somehow it's like there's the food, it's the culture, it's the it's the feeling of walking through a used jock strap and breathing in that beautiful New Orleans humidity. And then you like it, it's just all terrible. It's all terrible. Okay, it's all terrible. I'm sorry, New Orleans. No wonder Zion Williamson wants to leave New Orleans. I wouldn't want to play there. But Zion, what about the music? What about the culture? What about our Cajun food and our disgusting weather? Fuck that. <laughs> so jazz was just like that, the, the series. So I ended up watching it like many years later, just going, maybe I was like college. I wasn't in the mood for like some in-depth in 10-part series on jazz music. But my feelings were the exact same when I watched it like 14 years later. I was just like, yeah, it's still boring and I still don't give a shit. It's like, yes, heroin. Heroin was the coolest thing about jazz for the last 50 years. I'm sorry. I know it took many lives, but no wonder. No wonder they were all on heroin. They were like, 
when I'm done making noise, when I'm done. And I don't even know what the fuck I'm playing, but they call it genius. Well, guess what I'm going to do now? I'm going to take some of this heroin and try to feel something other than nonsense. Oops, sorry. That almost sounded like a real song. Sorry, that's not modern jazz. That almost sounded like some shit from the 40s. My apologies to all the jazz purists listening. <laughs> We're going to get to gigs soon, a.k.a. Diveshes. So, um, okay, so I kind of recommended a book so far, Zero Fail, by Carol Lenning. I think it's pronounced Lenning, but it looks like Leoning, Kings of Leoning. Um, but uh, amazing book so far. Like, very readable. Like, very, just... I, when people make, this is why The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright is my favorite nonfiction book of all time. When people make nonfiction feel like, like a movie, oh, it's, it's just, it's so good. It's, it's, it's such a good book to read so far. So like I'm making the rare big recommendation only a third into the book. So that's that. Um, okay. So we talked about, we destroyed New Orleans again. I just did the podcast equivalent of Katrina uh, on New Orleans, um, Katrina and the Waves, they definitely haven't played them, right? I'm walking on sunshine. They definitely haven't played Katrina and the Waves since Hurricane Katrina. I feel like that would still be pretty, pretty insensitive. Um, I am, like I said, five episodes away from finishing the Sopranos rewatch. Um, what, have, what else have I watched? We've really just been dedicated to that right now, I guess. So that's that. Um, Steve Vincent went to the book event, covered that, um, gigs. Why don't we do some gigs? And then I'll think of one more thing to complain about and I'll let you get on with your week. Uh, gigs this week, Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Don't know how many of you live in North Carolina. Don't know how many of you care or listen to this, but, but it's a, it's a big show for me. Obviously they're all big shows cause uh, these are all my chances at headlining. So it would be great to do better than Philadelphia, which was the, which was, not good for me or my career, but um, we're at Raleigh, 8 p.m. this Wednesday, Raleigh, North Carolina at Good Nights Comedy Club. So if you're anywhere near there, I hope I hope to see you there. Um, to uh, the the special, the special taping, October 23rd. There were only two tickets left as of yesterday afternoon. So if you're going to be in New York, if you've been delaying, there's two tickets left. That's it. I, I closed it to one show, and I think that proved to be the right decision because even right now. I would just have two half full shows as of now. And I don't have confidence for, for disappointing as it may be. I obviously have good reason to be lacking in confidence that I would sell another hundred seats. Baffles me, will bother me for a while. But you know what? We got a packed, we packed one show. So two tickets left to that. So if you are in the New York or Queens or Long Island area, um, I will be at the brokerage in Belmore, Long Island. Would really like to sell a lot of tickets to this, or as many as I'm as, as possible. I'm headlining the brokerage in uh, Belmore, Long Island, on October fifteenth at eight p.m. Um, it is close to Long Island Railroad. Not that I'm encouraging, you know, <laughs> yeah. Unless you're a if you're a big fan, I should have some big fans out there. But you can get there via public transportation if you're not a driver. It's uh, I forget the station, but it's like a seven minute walk from a Long Island Railroad station, unlike Governor's, which is their bigger club, which is like, you got to take a cab from the, uh, from the station. Uh, we, but Belmore, Long Island, October 15th, 8 p.m. If you're, if you're, uh, in the words of John Legend, if you're out there, 
uh, if you're out there, I uh, hope you can come to that since the, the, the special taping is pretty much sold out. Uh, obviously, go get those two tickets if, if you're listening to this right now and, and haven't um, gotten your tickets yet. But um, would love to, you know, basically the October 15th show is is going to be my last big club headlining run through for, for most of my set that I'll be doing. So you'll basically be able to see um, most of the special taping if you weren't able to get tickets to that. So, and it, it helps me because if, if I sell decently, I think that will give the confidence to the booker to get me more, more gigs, more casino gigs and things like that. Things that pay. Um, then the next week for any of my New Jersey listeners, uh, I am in Morristown, New Jersey info and ticket link is on my website. That's, uh, October 21st, Morristown, New Jersey. And then October 23rd is obviously special. And then November is pretty much a dead month right now. Uh, hoping to get more gigs for that. December, Pittsburgh Improv, December 9th. Um, DC Improv, December 16th to the 19th. And then in February, here's the, here's the big news. Here's, here's the big news. I hope you're still listening because I'm, I'm sure I get so depressing during gig talk uh, that sometimes maybe you guys tune out. But February is a huge and I mean huge month for me. Uh, first off, I'm going to take my first vacation in two years. Uh, just gonna, I'm going to trek across the country. I'm, I'm hoping to book a Chicago gig the last week of January. So I know I have, I know for a fact I have a lot of Chicago people. And I am looking to book a gig in Chicago the last week of Thursday to break up my travel. Because I'm going to take the train across country because I'm a psycho. Um, but so I'm hoping for a Chicago gig, the end of January. So if you are one of my many fans in Chicago, but maybe not all of you listen to this podcast, but if you are, I'm talking to the clubs in Chicago, but if not, I am going to look into doing like an independent venue in Chicago. So on a Thursday, preferably. So end of January, maybe pencil in, gotta go see JL in Chicago. If you're a Chicago person, um, then, obviously, I have my February 6th gig at Flappers in Burbank, which I know many people have already bought tickets to. If you're an L.A., Southern California person who likes my stuff and you're listening to this, get your ticket now. The club was all – not yet, but the club was giving me the vibes that they were going to be kind of problematic if they didn't – you know, if t- you've only sold 42 tickets and the show's four months out. It, it, I was getting that vibe. So the point is, if you're a Southern California person, get tickets to that now. Don't wait. It's uh, February 6th. It's in between the conference finals and the Super Bowl. So there's no football that, fr- that Sunday. Um, in, before then, I am already talking to somebody about booking a, a gig in uh, Northern California, like an hour south, I think, of, of San Francisco, because uh, I know I have a lot of Northern California fans. So looking to do that, that would be basically I'd go to L.A. like the th- July, January 31st, maybe around February 3rd second or third do a gig in northern california come back to la do a couple more spots do the big headlining show at flappers then head over to utah um salt lake city which i am uh currently waiting to hear on a february 10th gig i hope to hear soon because it's going to be a big pull for me to try and get people there but i have a strategy as a lifelong utah fan to try and get some local press coverage to try and reach out to people affiliated with the jazz um and obviously, people who listen to this, I do have plenty of, plenty, I don't know, do I have 25, 50 people? But I do have, um, I've built up a decent number of contacts 
uh, on Twitter through through the years uh, regarding comedy and, and the Utah Jazz. So February 10th is the date that I'm looking for, but I'm going to just go to Utah as part of my vacation and go to the Jazz games on February 9th and February 11th, hoping to book a gig for February 10th, and then I will come home. Now, the reason that's significant is obviously it's my first trip out west in years, and it would be hitting up Northern California, Southern California, and Salt Lake City, doing some stuff for me, seeing the jazz, fun trip, uh, blah, blah, blah. But when I come home, I will be approximately one to two weeks away as I, uh, from, I can't say, what, can't say what it is, but the end of February, my drama, my drama debut, uh, which is earlier than I expected. I thought spring, late winter is even better than spring, midwinter really is even better than spring. So uh, end of February will be my cable drama debut, the, the show that I auditioned and booked. My episode will air then, and I am looking, and I've talked to the people who will be producing my special. I am hoping to be able to have the special out. We pitch it to a couple of big platforms, including the platform that will have my drama debut, and try to try to arrange for a release of the special sometime around when I make my drama debut. Because what would be cool about that is the lesson I've learned in my career is if you have 12 individual achievements spread out over 14 years, none of them, they build, they don't build on each other. They create no momentum. So my goal is now knowing approximately when my debut will be kind of a scene, a showy scene stealing. I really hope I didn't suck. Um, I have no idea. I just know that I did it. But um, it's kind of an, a fun, showy guest role. And I think it would be great to be able to package that to a publicist and be like, making his debut on this show and releasing a special on this platform. You know, that could be a force multiplier, the, the rare time where I get to sort of get some publicity, you know, through a publicist and hopefully as like a, oh, what's he been doing since Trump? Turns out a lot. Spin, 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 spin. And that's and, and the reason that's a big deal is because I think that's my last play. You know, that's that's my this is my Muhammad Ali versus Leon Spinks. I'm not willing to go Muhammad Ali versus Larry Holmes with my comedy career. So this is my Ali versus Spinks rematch to go claim the title again. So if I have my Muhammad Ali history correct, which I may not, but I think that's what happened. Spinks took it from him and then he took it back. Um, R.I.P. Leon Spinks also, who passed away, I think, last year or earlier this year. But um, point being... I think this is my last best hope. And I don't mean that, I'm not even speaking right now in terms of my usual pessimism. When I found out when the show would be airing, I actually got, I got, I felt and tried to hold on to the feeling of positivity, that there was going to be positive news in my career. Um, obviously booking and getting paid for the show is the, is the, is in some ways the most important thing because I can't guarantee that being on the show will lead to anything, more episodes, or just any interest from the industry. But I just felt good that it was, I knew when it would be on and it was sooner than I thought. So that's a, that's, you know, here I am trying to 
grab that positivity by the neck and say, don't you ever leave me or I'll kill you. <laughs> so uh, too much Sopranos watching, sorry. Um, but, you know, this is, I think, my last best hope because you guys listen to me all the time. I, I fluctuate between maniacally quasi-optimistic and despondently pessimistic. But a special and a, and a TV drama debut, that's as good as it's going to get for somebody in my position with no management, no representation, 18 years in the business, had a huge 2020 that didn't lead to anything really beyond just great fan support, fucked over by the algorithms, algorithm complaint number two. Um, this is my chance. I, have, I acknowledge that, and I, I, I have to be able to package these two things together. And it is. I think it's my last best chance at turning, turning, you know, getting my career into a sustainable position. So I feel a little bit of optimism because I have confidence in my comedy material. And, you know, hopefully I don't fuck up the special, but I, I feel confident that it's going to be really strong, that it's going to be a higher profile, more personal, if that's possible, version of like Keep My Enemies Closer and Thoughts and Prayers, my, what I would say are my two best uh, albums. Um, so, you know, I have a strategy. I don't have people in place, but I'm going to pay the shit out of a, a, a good publicist, uh, hopefully a great publicist, um, because I think it's, you know, it's worth, it's, it's worth the cost, it's worth the effort. Um, to really try. And, and so hopefully I will hear back from, from Helium that they are down with my plan of getting this special out, you know, in February and making a strong pitch to, uh, you know, HBO scene produces their stuff in-house mostly, which is what I was told. So I guess the, the, the places to pitch would be Netflix, Showtime. And if it doesn't, if it fails to get on either of those, I've been told there's a deal in place just for this company to, to get it on Amazon Prime, which, you know, that would be somewhere and that I could still promote it, but but I'd love it to, you know, kind of be a standalone success and not just sort of in their general deal with Amazon Prime to host, because that's, that's all, you know, mostly, it's, unless you're Jim Gaffigan, it's sort of a little less prestigious um, as far as stand-up comedy. They, they, even though they have a lot of specials, they haven't really kind of turn their brand into a place where you go for stand-up. So, that said, let's cross our fingers, say a prayer if you're a praying type, but, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to finish off my first vacation in like four years with, you know, with some shows, some jazz games, like a nice two-and-a-half-week jaunt through the country, um, and then come back to maybe some, some great, Great news uh, on the drama and special front. So that's that's the career plan. You guys are privy to the plan. Will it work? Well, come on. Odds are no, but let's just try to hold on to that positive, optimistic feeling for a few more days before I see some shit happen and I go, come on, are you kidding me? Uh, so I think that's good for today, right? I think that's a good enough episode. Um, I think... Um, New Orleans really took it on the chin from this podcast, uh, gigs slash divesh, um, 
I always do this because I'm always like, I don't want to forget something, but I think that's it. I think I just gave you everything that I want to talk about. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you as always for subscribing. If you haven't yet, folks, get on over to, uh, you know, the previous iteration of the Righteous Brick Podcast had fewer listeners and more ratings. Like I had, when I ended the first iteration, granted after like seven years, but I didn't have as many listeners, but it had 200 ratings on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't yet given it a five star, either a review or if you're feeling lazy, like I often do, just you can give it five stars. You can tap five stars and you don't have to review it. But reviews help. Um, help what? I don't know. The ego, the algorithm, I don't understand. But, it, you know, let's if you haven't, please give it uh, five stars. Um, as always, I assume most of you probably listen to Making Podcasts Great Again, but the but it's it's really been... Um, a great outlet and we, and and I've put out some really strong shit on that show. So, uh, feel free to go subscribe to that. If you're not, um, check out, if you're not seeing my videos or whatever, um, please go subscribe to YouTube and, and peruse them. You can just check the like videos and there, you know, if you click on the video tab, it'll give you the chronological videos. Cause most people are now missing a shit ton of my videos. Like I'm not sort of favored at all on 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 youtube anymore in terms of the algorithm or especially on twitter so if you're listening to this and you haven't seen my content in a while besides podcasts um you know just go directly to the source scroll down my twitter page like a few things so that you see more of it and uh go to youtube and watch some of the videos that you've probably missed because i'm putting out i'm still putting out like two to three a week so if you've missed a lot um don't Go watch them. So I hope you have a great week. Stay healthy. Stay safe. For God's sakes, please be back. Just be vaccinated already. If you're not, I hope everybody listening to this is. And even though this is a Monday episode, uh, the end of the week, there should be a road recap. I'm going to probably write a road recap on the train back from Raleigh, which is a a 10-hour trip from Raleigh to Newark, New Jersey. So I will have plenty of time to write sketches, read books and write a recap blog of of hopefully what is a good adventure in Raleigh, North Carolina and a great show. So hope to see some of you, all of you at some shows coming up, except for my international listeners, apologies. But um, yeah, please, please stay tuned for, you know, LA shows available, but uh, Northern California, Salt Lake City, Chicago, I hope. Big cities where I've gotten a lot of uh, nice fan support. So Um, Make sure you are subscribed to my newsletter or just keep listening to this podcast for when to know to look for, for things. And I think that's enough droning on. So thank you. Have a good week. And I will see you next Tuesday.